You're listening to And hey, welcome back to another episode of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Riri Yu. And we're here today with a fresh new author interview with Michelle Kwok, the author of Not Here to Be Light, um, the new YA rom-com on sale September 14th, 2021. So in a few weeks, Not Here to Be Light is a enemies to lovers High school rom-com about a girl named Eliza Kwan who wants to become the editor-in-chief of her high school newsletter, um, but the position gets usurped by the hot jock. Who is less qualified. <laughs> who is less qualified, yes. And so Eliza Kwan uh, writes a manifesto, uh, private manifesto that somehow gets published online and becomes the unwitting head of a feminist movement in her high school. Um, Rira, how did you enjoy the book? I really like the topics that Michelle brought up in the book. Obviously, the book is about feminism, as you can tell from the premise. But feminism is a very uh, murky, I guess, topic because there's a lot of differing opinions, um, especially with like the Internet. Everybody has a different <laughs> definition of feminism. And I thought it was really interesting because you have high schoolers who are grappling with um Topics that even adults don't really um, have a single opinion on, single answer to. So I thought it was a very good coming of age story. I thought both of the characters, Eliza Kwan and Len, were pretty engaging characters. I had a lot of fun reading this book and it just time seemed to just fly by while I was reading it. Yeah. The ROM was good. The calm was good. The drama was very spicy. And oh, the drama yeah. was very spicy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and we had a great time talking with Michelle um, about her inspirations for the book, um, her thoughts about the characters, as well as the Asian American representation in the story. Um, so yeah, without further ado, let's get to it. Here is our interview with Michelle Kwok. here with Michelle Kwok, uh, who is the author of Not Here to Be Liked, which is available in September 14th, 2021. Uh, thank you, Michelle, for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Well, congratulations on your debut. I'm sure uh, you're pretty excited for your launch. Thank you. Yeah, it's definitely it's coming up sooner than, you know, you would think, but <laughs> it's very exciting. Yeah. How is the how's the experience been um getting a book out into the world? You know, it's surreal like every step of the way, honestly, but then it's also like watching something in slow motion because <laughs> you know, you write the book it takes you forever and then you feel really good about that milestone of finishing and then you get an agent and then you submit and like everything just takes such a long time. Like I think the book deal took I think it was 2 years ago. Or something between like the book deal and like <laughs> publication. So it is really exciting, but also it just takes a long time. <laughs> so that's kind of weird. And then 
of course, with the pandemic, that just makes everything weird as well. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when we announced the book deal uh, around like two years ago, I think. And uh, just from the premise alone, I was like, yes, I would like to read this immediately. And I'm just so glad that we have you on the show. Um, For those of you... uh, Sorry. Uh, So for our listeners out there who don't know anything about your book, do you think you could uh, quickly give us an elevator pitch? Sure. So Not Here to Be Liked is an enemies to lovers rom-com. And it's about a girl named Eliza who really wants to be editor-in-chief of her high school paper. But she gets snubbed for a boy who's less qualified but more likable, I guess. (laughs) Or so everyone thinks. And so she vents her frustration about this in a rant that goes viral and then inadvertently becomes the leader of a feminist movement at her school, which is great for her until she finds herself falling for the boy. Um, so, like, were you always a writer or did you have another passion growing up? I know you, um, did you study writing in, in college? So I always, it's a long answer, I guess, but basically (laughs) growing up, I did always identify as a writer, certainly a reader, and I read a ton and also tried to write a lot, but didn't ever really get into the fiction thing. Like I, I always wanted to write a book, but even as a kid, I just couldn't finish it like I couldn't get past the the first page like it just I was too much of a perfectionist or maybe I just like didn't know how to put together a story but it just never worked out but I did really like writing in other capacities like I did journalism in school and you know other kinds of creative writing and you know kids like enter like these contests or whatever so I did that and like did well and like enjoyed that Um, but in college I studied history and literature so still like in the humanities and writing type of stuff. But after college, I just didn't know what to do with that exactly because, you know, the idea that you could make a living writing fiction or books, especially since my track record of not finishing anything ever (laughs) and writing really slow, like just didn't seem like a good combination for, you know, what my job should be. And so I decided to become a graphic designer. And the way I kind of look at it is, Writing was really personal for me and it's just like deeply personal. Like it was like very entwined with my identity. And so writing, doing other kinds of writing, like even journalism, you know, I enjoyed it, but it's still doing it for someone else in a lot of ways. And copy editing or copywriting, I thought about that too, but it just wasn't how I wanted to spend my time writing. And so I also really like, you know, art and drawing, although I never considered myself like as a kid, like. I drew a lot and enjoyed that, but I wasn't the kid who drew constantly and had like this vision of becoming like an artist. Like I just kind of liked it. And so it seemed like a good idea to maybe do that as, you know, my career. And then I basically didn't write for many years once I decided to make that switch. And it was only until maybe, I guess, five years ago, four years ago now that I started writing this book seriously and I yeah so long story short I always did consider myself a writer but it took me a long time to kind of get back to the point where I actually produced something worth reading yeah so what led you to decide that you wanted to put together not only a novel but like a YA rom-com novel like what what 
what was the, that journey like? Yeah, well, I've always really liked love stories. Every single one of my favorite movies and whatever, like I always just really love those plots, like romantic plots or whatever. And so I just wanted, because that's what I enjoyed reading and seeing, I wanted to try to do one myself because I kind of wanted to do it like, okay, how I would like it done. And so because I love rom-coms in particular, like I like things that don't take themselves that seriously. Like I like funny things or whatever. And so that's why I want to do a rom-com specifically. And then for YA, I think it's so funny because, I mean, obviously growing up books were a big deal to me. And so I had that relationship, especially at that age with books. But I think also it's kind of like, I don't feel removed enough from my experience as like, for instance, an adult to properly write a story. And so the teenager thing, it was kind of like, well, I'm like old enough that I can look back and, you know, have something to say about it. And so, yeah, because I wanted to write romance, then that seemed like a good age to write to. Yeah. Well, I also enjoyed the fact that your book takes place in a Southern California town, much like my own. Like I grew up in the San Gabriel Valley in the city of San Gabriel. So, um, you know, my school is much like um, Willoughby High School in your book where the jocks and the cool kids were all Asian or mm-hmm. like not white. And you know, I could picture the the Korean queen bee, the um, the Asian like picture jock. Um, and I thought it was really cool to have that representation in this book, uh, which is usually these high school rom-coms take place in, you know, nondescript white Midwest town. So something that takes place in Asian American Southern California was super, super awesome to read. Yeah, I'm so glad that that you identified, <laughs> you know, elements um, that were in the book because that was really important to me. I too felt, I mean, I grew up in, well, I grew up in Anaheim, but I went to school in Cyprus. So very close to Cerritos. So I know that whole area. <laughs> and yeah, it was really important that that experience, I'd never seen that anywhere in any of the books or movies i mean i think there was a little bit like there was that movie better luck tomorrow like a long time ago you probably remember that was like the only thing time i ever saw you know that neighborhood (laughs) you know i think that was actually based on a story from i think fullerton high school or probably troy was it troy yeah maybe it's troy yeah 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 yeah. so i knew kids who went to troy you know i think it was filmed in like the neighborhood like right by my high school even i don't (laughs) you know, quote me on that, but I think it was. So yeah, it was really important that the specificity of that environment was captured. And for me, it also made the story feel more real because it it was, you know, based in part on a real place. So yeah. Um, just for clarification, the, the city that this book takes place in is a fictional city, right? Yeah, it's a fictional okay. city. <laughs> so I was trying to place it. I was like, it sounds like Cerritos, maybe Fullerton-ish, maybe Buena Park, but I can't, I don't remember a Jacaranda, California. <laughs> yeah, no, it was just because, you know, there's so many of those little cities there, mm. you know, you just named a whole bunch. And then it was just too complicated, I thought, to have to explain like, oh, well, I lived in this city, but then I went to high school in this city. So like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So just let's yeah. just call it all like Jacaranda. I mean, it so. makes sense. There's tons of cities named after flowers in Southern California. So I was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, Cypress is named after a tree, so that's why I was like, well, this is also named after some kind of plant. So Yeah. 
It was really interesting for me because um, unlike Marvin, I didn't go to a school where it was like mostly Asians. Um, although I went to a school where we did have the cool Korean kids. So I definitely like related to that. Um, so you write about feminism in this book. And I'm just curious, like, why uh, why a high school setting? Because it is a very um, complex subject. Yeah. So I didn't set out to write about feminism when I first had the idea for the book. Like, like I said, I just really wanted to write this enemies to lovers rom-com. But I did know that that plot point where she wanted to be editor and then he gets picked instead, that was a thing. And so just kind of thinking about that organically, like what themes, like what larger themes could come into play, you know, from a plot like that. And that's how I kind of thought about this feminism thing but it interested me because you know like growing up and being a teen and even being like a young adult this is something you know as Eliza kind of tries to figure out like how to navigate a romantic relationship with a boy when she's a girl like what is it what does it mean to be a feminist in that context? You know, like a lot of things that, like a lot of times people will tell you like, oh, like you don't need a boy. Like you don't need the guy. Like, and a lot of stories about feminism are about girls who don't need the guys and it's super awesome. Like it's like strong female characters. Like they do what they want and the guys are just kind of like whatever on the side. But I just thought it was like a really interesting tension, which I think when you're a teen, you're like kind of like really into like crushes and like whatever. It's a kind of, central to your experience which is like okay I'm a strong female girl but then I also like this boy and when I do I have all these feelings that don't feel very feminist because I'm like constantly thinking about him or like whatever and so I just thought when you're young when teens are going through that like they might want to read a story about why that's okay and like how you can figure it out for yourself and all of that so uh, this is a little bit of a tangent, but were you part of the journalism club back in high school? Yeah, so I was. And like in the book, it's it was actually a class that you had to go to like every zero period, just like every day. And it wasn't quite like, so when I, I was also on the paper in college. And so I kind of brought in experiences from both papers. Um, so we didn't actually vote for like editor-in-chief in high school, but we did in college. And so... Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so that's where that element came from. Yeah, I think journalism was also a class in my high school as well. It was like... you had Well, to be you guys in- went to <laughs> fancy high schools. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone read the school paper at, at my high school. So like reading this about like, uh, like uh, high school journalists who are really passionate about writing and who like take this position very seriously i was like this is really interesting i don't know if this is um something that uh like like kids actually go through today and i think that is like a struggle with a lot of young adult writers because high school you know it was a certain amount of time ago and it's like can you (laughs) like is your experience equal to what kids are going through now so you know uh, my question is like you know, did you consult uh, high schoolers? Did you consult younger readers to make sure you got that environment right? 
Yeah, so I did have a a reader, like a teen reader, who read it after I'd written it. But while I was writing it, I kind of just wrote it <laughs> because <laughs> I was, you know, it's kind of that thing for me when I was writing. It was just a personal goal, like let me finish this thing. And so I wouldn't let anyone read it until I wrote like the last word. And so after that, like once I became like serious, like okay, wait, maybe this could be something. Then yeah, I did have some younger people read it. Um, but I will say to to the point of wow, she's like Eliza's like really into this thing. It's so funny because I I think of her as an unreliable narrator, and it's like I think if you kind of look at like some of the characters' reactions to her and things, like you know, is it that important? You know what I mean? Like some of the other characters are like, oh, uh, you know, like it's fine or whatever. But it's important to her, and it's kind of like it's irrelevant, but. In my vision, it's like, you know, it's up for debate whether what Eliza is doing, you know, prior to the, the feminism stuff, like whether that's really important or like, should she be that intense about it? You, you know, it's like, I definitely invite like other opinions than Eliza's. <laughs> you know, I feel like every high school club had that one person who was really, really into it and would essentially carry that club, right? They were like... Yeah, just like really into it. And, you know, I may or may not have been that person in my clubs. Um, but I think it's, you know, when you're young, your world is kind of restricted to your high school. Where your high school is your entire world. That's your entire social circle. So, yeah, like, I think if you're really into something, you think it's important. It can be the most important thing in the world. And I think you capture that pretty well because, you know, those of us with more, you know, um, adult experience who have, you know, left our hometowns maybe can kind of reflect and say maybe you shouldn't like put too much stock in this one thing but i think when you're a kid that that feeling tracks because um i remember feeling that about some of my organizations as well yeah totally and i think what you're saying about it being kind of like a microcosm that you're kind of stuck in that's so true and also that's really interesting to me the way even though it is a small world and a lot of your feelings are unique to being young what i think is evident in the book too is seeing how those little that little world can reflect the larger world that we're part of and like all the politics and like rules that may resonate outside of it as well <laughs> um but yeah totally i think definitely it's being it's easy to have a one track mind when you're a teen yeah so we talked about um, Eliza being an unreliable character. And in the back of your book, uh, you forewarn readers that there is an unlikable female character in this book. And it's really strange to to me because I really liked Eliza. And uh, so for me, she was a likable character. And it just kind of made me think about like why people don't like unlikable characters. Like what does unlikable mean to them as a reader. It's one of the biggest complaints we see in Goodreads reviews, for example. People give like two-star reviews saying, I didn't like the character. They were uh, not empathetic or whatnot. So um, can you talk a little bit about how you developed Eliza as a so-called unlikable character and uh, what your thoughts are on unlikable characters in general? Yeah, so. Eliza kind of just came together. I mean, we share certain traits, um, but I think for me, even when I was her age, I was never like 
so bold where, you know, if I thought something was stupid, I would just be like, this is stupid or like, you know, do a better job. Like I would never say that. And, and I think it's kind of refreshing in a way to write a fictional character who would do that because sometimes you do kind of just wish you could call someone out for their incompetence, but it's not necessarily helpful a lot of times, so you shouldn't do it. But anyway, so in her, so in writing her, I kind of, in some ways, gave her a lot of traits that I think a lot of people have, but are maybe afraid to show because we're, especially as women, are socialized to not be like that. And, you know, you should be nice, quote unquote, because if you're not, like, sometimes you just do like a normal thing and then suddenly you're like not nice. You know, like there's like, this is like super old, but I think there's like in the YO world, like the joke where it's like a, a male character will kill people and like do these crazy things. And then somehow they're like this super interesting dark hero. But then like a girl rolls her eyes at like something that a boy does and suddenly she's so unlikable. And so the, that double standard is was really interesting to me. So writing the character was just like a big, you know, like, okay, no, I'm just doing it. Um, doesn't matter what you think about it. But it is such an interesting thing too. I've noticed in Goodreads, not just for my book, which I try not to read the reviews and I actually stop because I was like, you know what, Good. this is fine. <laughs> um, but people do have very strong opinions about likable characters. And I, the way I see it is if you're into a book, because if you're into a character because you just want someone that's kind of interesting and you might not identify with them or agree with their decisions, but they're intriguing and they're believable, then you're probably fine with most so-called unlikable characters. But if you believe that a character should teach you something or should model good behavior or be, you know, yeah, just like somehow be a good example, which I think a lot of people might feel, especially in YA, and then I don't think you'd, you're going to like, you know, an unlikable <laughs> character. But I personally don't believe it's the job of fiction to teach people anything. Like, I think it's you're meant to read fiction and gain empathy and also, yeah, just ask questions. Um, I don't think you're supposed to get any answers. So that's why I'm fine with those unlikable characters. And hopefully a lot of people are as well. <laughs> I mean, unlikability is like so subjective, right? And that, that's kind of the point of your book. Everything is so subjective. You know, people can do the simplest things and be misinterpreted. And I mean, your book does what it needs to do, which is put your your quote unquote unlikable slash likable characters in awkward situations where they may or may not fall in love, which right. I think it does really, really well. Thank you. Well, I'm glad that you enjoy you that her unlikability or likability. <laughs> didn't get in the way of that so i really like the um contrast between eliza's mother's view on feminism versus uh, eliza's like modern understanding of feminism and uh like you said with like refugees like that experience is very different from uh other like immigrants who have come here uh by choice and I guess like when you're going through something so harrowing, you don't really have time to consider like, oh, is this sexist? Is this um, 
it, you know, are, are girls just as good as boys? Like, that's not something that really uh, comes to mind. Um, and also just like that relationship reminded me so much of like my mom and, and I like she'll say things where I'm like, that's, that's not okay. <laughs> like, like she'll, she'll be like, well, like you need to marry someone who like takes good care of you, but you need to also have like a good education because like women, sh- women should get higher education. And I'm like, those are two like very conflicting things that you're saying to me. And I don't quite understand like how to reconcile this. So um, I just want to ask, like, is that something that, uh, is drawn from your own personal experiences? Yeah, I mean, definitely that I experienced those conversations as well. And like, have I kind of like you had the same reaction where it's like, are you even thinking about what you're saying? <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's just so, I mean, that's the thing with sexism, right? It's like irrational. It's kind of like, they, we just, have these expectations and like no when you stop to think about it, it's like wait does it even make sense and the answer is like not really um so yeah definitely definitely feel you but I'm glad that resonated with you <laughs> <laughs> well even like the small comments with uh eliza's sister like saying oh she's the pretty one and eliza's the smart one and you know we don't really consider consider that to be harmful because it it's like compliments but it's also putting down other uh, talents and demographics. And you you kind of see that like towards the end of the book that like Kim kind of carried this, uh, um, I guess like she put a lot into a lot of stock into her looks because that's how she felt valued. And uh, we kind of see this with other characters as well, especially with Serena, the uh, cool Korean Queen B. Um, and I really like the growing friendship between Eliza and Serena because uh, Eliza is someone who does not try very hard to uh, care about her appearance or to appeal to boys. So uh, I just want to ask, like, how you developed uh, that friendship? Was Serena always going to be uh, a main character in your book and uh, have that friendship uh bloom because i feel like it would have been very easy to make her an antagonist in this book yeah so she actually came very late in the writing like when i started writing i did not know there would be a serena (laughs) and i think you know i can't even remember why i put her in other than i think i needed the plot to happen a certain way and then like I wanted, I thought, you know, what if like this popular girl like took up the mantle and, you know, made this a, a whole thing. And so because I needed that for the plot, then I kind of developed, you know, okay, well, if this girl did, like, what would she be like? And for me, it was, you know, I think it's really important for characters like that to, you know, grow, but also remain true to themselves. And so she you know, it's still the cool girl, but yes, she does through her friendship with Eliza, you know, also learn similar to the way that Eliza also learns from her. Yeah. Like one of the, um, one of the things that Serena says is you, like it says to Eliza, like, you don't know how hard it is to be nice to everyone to make it look so easy. And, um, I like the fact that, 
you know, Eliza's view on feminism is, you know, being challenged. And throughout this book, there really isn't an easy solution. It is a very uh, a messy conversation that's in a lot of gray areas. And it's just interesting to me because uh, everyone in this book is in high school. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and at, at least like personally for me, like I didn't really uh, understand what feminism was until like midway through college. Um, so I guess like, what was the hardest part of um, making feminism, I guess, like a, a, a discussion with the high schoolers? Because there's a lot of conflicting opinions among the students. Yeah. And I think, again, similar to you, I also didn't think about feminism until college at the earliest. And I think that may be a function of the times like i think in the culture when i at the time like no one talked about it like even taylor swift hadn't come out as a feminist yet so now she's like she and a bunch of other famous people they do say that they're feminists and we talk about it a lot more and so i think that made sense to me that like the characters would also be aware of some of these um like topics as like discussions and yeah, and, and they do have conflicting opinions. And I think that's because I think there's still a lot of mixed messaging even now for young people because it's not like I think Gen Z is certainly more aware of these issues and tend to be more activists on the whole and not everyone, obviously. But there's still some problematic things that they probably hear or do or believe in and so like just because they're younger doesn't always mean they're more woke but yeah so I wanted to kind of reflect that very muddled quality of the larger conversation around these topics too I mean it does get you thinking I think part of what books can do is you know like you mentioned like there's no one way that you're supposed to interpret a book it, it depends on the reader but it does get the reader thinking about things right like reading through this book, I kind of thought about like, what are some of the things that I might have skated through life because I was a guy and not a girl, right? There's probably a bunch. I can't think of any because, you know, personally, we all think our struggles are the most important thing in the world. But yeah, I mean, we all have different privileges and benefits based on our identity. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we're not privileged and sometimes we are. And so, yeah, I think I'm glad to hear that you also... <laughs> It, that it was applicable to you and interesting to you to also think about these questions because, yeah, I do think that everyone should, um, regardless of our identities, be grappling with these things. Yeah. And depending on like your cultural background and uh, your race, because there is intersectionality that is like, you know, it intersects with feminism race intersects with feminism and we clearly see that in your book not just through your asian characters but also through winoa who is a black character one of the very few black students in um in in a very asian dominated school and i thought that was like a very interesting choice can you uh talk a little bit more about that yeah so again when i started writing it wasn't like i want to 
do that. I want to illustrate this experience. It was just like, oh, like, I think this character is black and her name is Winona and this is her story. And so things just kind of came to me. And then it was afterwards that I kind of, you know, had to dig a little deeper to be writing about her experience and like her struggles and having her own arc. Like she kind of has like a mini arc in terms of dealing with sexism and racism and the intersection of them so yeah I guess it kind of happened organically a lot of things just kind of happened because I yeah I guess organically it's just I don't necessarily even though I am like a plotter and I kind of like to have like the idea like the general themes in advance a lot of times especially characterizations it's just you know when I'm writing then okay now I should explore this because it feels like I should to make this character real or have you know feel well-rounded yeah yeah definitely I mean uh I could definitely relate to that of like I I have a problem and I need to figure out like how this works into the plot and uh I'll figure out character stuff later (laughs) it's it's very relatable um but back to like conflicting opinions among the high school students when it comes to feminism. I just thought it was really interesting how um, how social media played into uh, played into this whole thing. And when I think about young people these days, I'm like, that's a lot of pressure because you have essentially like online persona and your offline persona and those two worlds mixed together and we kind of see how um how things kind of grow out of control for eliza because of uh social media and i just want to like ask like for for like the social media aspect and i guess like the bullying aspect did you look into like real cases to help you uh like frame that into the story i didn't look into any specifics although if you just go on twitter or that's (laughs) true (laughs) that's true there's just so much and i think that sort of you know she is hated and then on a dime she becomes like cool and then on another dime, she's like hated again. I just think that happens so much. Like if you just spend like 20 minutes on Twitter, which I try not to spend <laughs> longer than that. Yeah. So no, I didn't necessarily have like, oh, you know, follow any particular stories. Of course, there are many, as you probably have seen too, but it wasn't anything like that. I think it just, it was just more a general sense of what I'd observed, especially, you know, Sad to say, like, book Twitter can have a lot of its own dramas and stuff. So being part of that was in was in part, like, inspirational for this. Yeah. Yeah, with, like, with social media, I feel like it's so easy to be, I, I guess, like, quote-unquote woke. Like, we, we talk about, like, performative advocacy versus, like, actually doing something to help the cause. And, um... I really like the fact that you did show a difference in that you you show you show characters who are like 
yeah, girl boss, and don't really do anything to um to help uh, Eliza with her um with I guess like her goal of becoming editor in chief. But uh, you have students who are like, yeah, I'll actively participate in this walkout. I'll um, Eliza's whole, I guess, scandal kind of sparks a bigger conversation in school. And you see like these changes that are happening. Um, So I thought that was like I thought that was like a very neat commentary because we kind of see that as adults in in the real world. Yeah, totally. And. I mean, it's so hard, right? Like, it is easy to just kind of be woke on social media. But, and I, you know, I make that commentary, but I don't, you know, I'm not necessarily even saying that I know personally, like, oh, yeah, like I do all this stuff for (laughs) all these woke causes. You know, it's definitely, I totally understand, like, why it's hard or, we all should do better, I guess, but it's 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 a lot easier to just say that we will on social media. But yeah. yeah. I think the most important part is just asking like asking questions and uh questioning your biases and really just, you know, opening your mind. I think just even that little step helps a lot and goes a long way. Um, I think we kind of uh, talked enough about Eliza. I want to talk about Len, who is your other main character. Um, you know, like with with guys, they correct me if I'm wrong. Like they get away with a lot of stuff, even when people say that they're likable. Um, they could, in real life, not be all that likable um so i think it would have been easy for len to be i guess like a very despicable character but you kind of made him actually like charming and uh, empathetic so can you talk a little bit about um how you develop len and uh like what with the chemistry between him and eliza was that um something that you (laughs) i mean we all we all know Len. We all know someone who seems to be coasting through Do life we? where everything comes so easy to them. It's like they're like, you know, there's always that one kid who's like in all the honors classes, also doing sports, also in all the clubs, and just somehow, you know, aces everything. And did you not have a Len in your school, Rira? No, no. <laughs> I I did not. Maybe I just like didn't high school is such a haze to me because uh, like <laughs> I I like as a kid I was very cynical and I was like nothing matters in high school I am not going to pay attention to anything so if there was a len in my high school I uh, definitely did not pay attention You you were definitely in that alternative student like gym I guess so <laughs> yeah I never thought of myself as an alternative kid but I'll take it <laughs> I mean maybe you were you were it sounds like you were a cool kid but like cooler than the actual cool kids That's what alternative that's what makes me think of alternatives. So, but yeah, no, I I don't know like a Len specifically, but I know of people like him. And yeah, I mean, it was really important to me that he not be, like you said, a despicable antagonist because I think that makes the story more interesting and also challenging, right? Because it makes you question like, well... 
what do you do when things are, when sexism coexists with, you know, someone who's kind of pleasant or like, it's like, is it like, is it his fault that like he gets, he goes through everything? It's like, well, maybe not, but you know, obviously he should take more responsibility and be more aware of that privilege. But yeah, I didn't want it to be like a straw man situation with that character. But I think it is true though, that like guys, I mean, again, like it kind of depends on your background in addition to your gender, but they do get away with stuff. <laughs> so I know you said that too, but you've acknowledged it, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I kind of wish I, I mean, I kind of wish my boyfriend was like that in high school. <laughs> I did not have a boyfriend like Glenn. So this is not autobiographical. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love that. Like Rira said, you expect this guy to be kind of like a jerk, right? And I love that in the arc that we received for this book, one of the bullet points is give this hot debut to fans of the hand flex scene in Kira Knightley's Pride and Prejudice, which like you kind of have this like Darcy arc where you think he's a jerk. You want to believe he's a jerk, but he's actually not really a jerk. And oh no, he might be hot too, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's like the best comparison. I my editor came up with that, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's so good!" So obviously, I love Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, I mean, like this book is pitched as like enemies to lovers, but I think I don't know. Like Len is so pleasant in in the beginnings, and I, I guess like throughout the entire book, so it's just like, is this enemies to lovers, or is this like uh, rivals in? very like unfortunate circumstances where <laughs> where they're competing against each other um but yeah like i i really i really liked len's character because his humor was just something that i like really vibed with like i really loved his sarcasm where it's like is he being serious or is he like complimenting me <laughs> or is he insulting me and i was like wow that's um, that's definitely like my style of humor. So I, I really enjoyed all of his, um, I guess like jabs at Eliza and Eliza, like not knowing like how to respond. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because their, their relationship is very much like they challenge each other. Right. And which I liked that. And she's a very big personality so you would need the love interest to also be able to hold his own but it's funny that you think that he's pleasant throughout because I don't know if everyone agrees like some people <laughs> I've gotten responses where it's like oh like like he's not ni like nice enough because he's pleasant but is he nice like that's the other thing is too it's like are these characters really nice and like what does it mean to be nice like my thing is like I don't know if he's like nice but neither is she so it's fine <laughs> but yeah like people it's just so interesting the way people kind of react to these characters like i also love len but i also love eliza i mean i'm biased but yeah you would be surprised like how different people's opinions are in these characters i mean you have eliza who cares so much about everything and you definitely need a character who like balances that of like okay like it's not that big of a deal it's like no it is that big of a deal and i really like that dynamic uh between them um and i don't know like uh, because len is mixed race um i like i like i like that aspect as well um and i really liked 
I guess, like his backstory about why he loves baseball, too, because that's tied into, um, you know, Japanese-American internment in America. And I just thought that was like a very clever way uh, to sneak in a little bit of history in there. Yeah, that is interesting because I'm not really into sports, even though oh, like, same here. a lot of this book <laughs> is about sports. But I, again, I felt that if you're going to have a character, I, it's one of my pet peeves when, let's say there's like a jock character who, you know, gets with like the nerdy girl and then we never hear about the jock's life. Like it's just like, it's it's just part like a like window dressing almost. So for me, it's like if you're going to have a jock, then you better have a way to talk about like this important part of his life. And so the baseball, it actually, the reason I picked baseball is that the story took place in spring and that happens to be a spring sport. <laughs> and so I, again, did not go in with this idea that I would talk about Japanese American internment and like the history of baseball, but it's actually a very fascinating history. Like I did some research on it. But yeah, it just worked out that he, you know, as like a baseball player, had that connection to his like family past. And I think it in it was just like another lens of like the Asian American experience that I, I wanted to include. Yeah. All right. We can't talk about a new YA release without talking about the cover. And you have a very colorful cover for this book. Um what was the process like to get it made? Like you, you mentioned that you're a graphic designer. What input did you have on on the cover? So I had a lot of input. I don't know if this is common or not. Like maybe it varies based on the polisher. But I was able to, you know, and before anyone anything started at all, give them sort of like a document. I put together a document. Again, I don't know if this is normal, but like with, you know, covers that I liked and covers that I didn't like. And then bullet points listing like what I liked or didn't like about the examples that I pulled. And because I'm a designer, I have been on the other side of that equation. And so I tried really hard to first like give feedback that was constructive and express specific actionable things like whenever I did have something to say so when I gave them the document I I, I tried hard, really hard to make it super clear and then I also got to weigh in on which illustrator would do the cover like they had a couple options and then I picked one and that's the one we went with and then yeah then there was like a sketch and then I also got to weigh in on that like oh like was the expression of this character like good, like what you thought it would be, et cetera. And then even like the color scheme, like there were options and I got to pick. And then, yeah. So again, like, I don't know if that's normal. <laughs> it's not common at yeah. all. <laughs> There's a lot of authors out there who, you know, they don't see their cover until their book comes out. <laughs> and they're like, oh, that's what my book looks like. So it is a very... uh different process but i guess because you're a graphic designer uh, your publisher trusted your opinion a little bit more you know i don't know if that's it maybe maybe but i think maybe. what did help is that again like because i've been in that relationship that i knew like what to say to get like what i wanted if that makes sense because a lot of times when you're a designer a client will tell you something and it just like won't be that helpful because they don't know how to communicate like what it is that they said. So my experience was definitely like 
valuable in like trying to get me to shape what I wanted the cover to look like. So I'm really happy with it. Yeah. I really like it. I'm just imagining because um, um a big plot point in your book is um Eliza's frumpy sweater. And I'm just wondering if you were just all right, make it a little more frumpier. Make it a little bit more more like an old person sweater, please. That is so funny that you should bring that up because in the you the in the American cover, which I think is the one you have, mm-hmm. that originally she had like a different kind of sweater. So I did point out, like, oh, can you make it like a frumpy cardigan sweater <laughs> but in the uk version which i don't know if you've seen i I've did seen the uk version yeah i did have to say like oh can you make that a little frumpier <laughs> so yes is the answer to that question awesome man with like the cardigan i am a i am a huge cardigan wearer and i was just like I understand this desperate search for <laughs> for your lost favorite cardigan because <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just like I, I guess like it's a safety blanket. It's a uniform. So I was like, this is very, very relatable. I don't know if uh, other people have like, I guess, that attachment to a specific type of clothing. But yeah sorry we were we were talking about cardigans and i just had to mention that. <laughs> it's okay no it, it invoked an emotional response which which yes. good art does i mean i also love cardigans but i do also love sweaters in general so yeah same here yeah i mean we live in california and there's not a lot of opportunities to wear uh like sweaters um like in in new york i wore a lot of like sweaters and coats and a lot of them are just sitting in my closet and i'm like damn it like fall clothes are so nice but like california you just have to continually layer yourself (laughs) and cardigans are just so useful in that in that (laughs) manner right right yeah i mean i also live in california and now and so i totally feel you although when i used to work in an office again before the pandemic the air conditioning would be so cold oh my god it's so cold yeah Yeah. (laughs) so i would always bring like my sweater and so it was like an opportunity to wear them but it was not always it's another form of uh, the patriarchy i i remember (laughs) there was a study on this yeah uh, about like the she turtles i forgot like when it came out but it was just that how men because they're wearing full suits and because their body temperature naturally is hotter than uh women uh the ac is naturally set to be at their comfort level whereas with women we're forced to wear dresses or uh things that are sleeveless because that is in fashion to show as much skin as possible and we're just you know stuck with blasting ac and the only times we can get warm is going outside during our lunch break and just kind of like heating up like reptiles yeah so <laughs> yeah i i remember that study and i think it's so it's so accurate <laughs> This was the case at my school, too. They blasted the AC and I just carried around a cardigan or a blanket in in college. I literally just brought a blanket with me and my teachers would be like, are you planning to sleep in class? And it's just just like, I I don't care. Like, I'm cold. My comfort comes first. Right. So, okay. Um, So as we wrap up, do you have any last questions for Michelle? 
I guess. I mean, this is a mandatory question that I have to ask all authors. Um, is there any project that you're working on right now that you can share with us? I know that publishing can be a little bit, you know, hush hush. And um, I- I'm just like wondering if there's anything that you can share with us. Yeah, so I'm working on book two with the same editors and publisher. And so it's pretty much, it's still kind of up in the air, so I can't share too much, but it is YA and it is meant to be a rom-com. We're working on getting there. So that's all I'll say uh, for now. But And also, of course, the characters are Asian again. And so... Yeah. And then I'm also just separately trying to think of what's after that because I've, you know, for book three. And so really couldn't even tell you. I wish I could tell you (laughs) what that's going to be. But that's definitely something I'm trying to figure out, too. I wish you luck on your sophomore novel. I heard that the second second book is always the toughest to to write. So, yeah, thank you. I mean, it is hard. And then, and also just like everything going on too. Again, like the pandemic and not going anywhere, it really does kind of affect how you write. And maybe for other people it doesn't, but for me, it definitely felt like a different experience for many reasons. So, yeah. Well, congratulations on your debut novel. Congratulations on your ongoing book tour. And yeah, looking forward to this book getting out into the world. Um, For everyone listening, if you're interested in Not Here to Be Liked by Michelle Kwok, it is on sale at bookstores everywhere on September 14th. So um, you still have about like a week or two. So, you know, get that pre-order in and get this book as soon as possible. Uh, But yeah, Michelle, thank you so much for joining us on Books and Boba. It was such a pleasure talking to you. Um, Thank you for representing the Asians of SoCal. Um, Oh, Thank you for representing Sachimas, which this is the first time I've seen a Sachima uh, mentioned in a book that we've read, which is something that I grew up eating. Uh, for people who don't know, it's like a, a Chinese rice crispy treat. I guess is what I would yeah. call it. Yeah, yeah. No, happy to happy to have that rep in there. Thank yeah. you so much for enjoying the book and for having me on the show. And that was our interview with Michelle Kwok, the author of Not Here to Be Liked, um, BYA rom-com on sale on September 14th, 2021. So yeah, if you're interested in buying the book after listening to our chat with Michelle, um, you can pre-order it now at Booksellers Everywhere. You can also buy it on our Bookshop affiliate page. Uh, 10% will go to our podcast for hosting costs and another 10% will go to independent bookstores across the country. So, yeah, um, support local bookstores, support Books and Boba, and not <laughs> instead of supporting rich men going to space. All right, a quick reminder that our September 2021 book club pick is Chemistry by Waiki Wang. It's described as an anti coming of age story about a woman who has a seemingly perfect Asian life. She's about to get her PhD and about to get married, but starts to have doubts about her life's choices as she's on the cusp of achieving her academic and life's goals. It's a book that I've wanted to read for a very long time, so I'm glad to have this opportunity to do so with the rest of you for the book club. Um, if you've already finished Chemistry by Waiking Wang, uh, feel free to let us know your thoughts on our Goodreads forums. We always love to hear from our members. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of Books and Boba. Uh, we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Okay, bye.
Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, Brian. Did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 